Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up on today's episode, we finally get back to breaking down some Jets hockey as we look back at a pair of wins against Vegas and Arizona. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rowicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Oh, it feels good to be back. Hopefully you guys had a safe and happy holiday season. It was a bit of a tough one for me having to deal with some Omicron fallout. Good God, I hate that word. But hopefully we can get through all this and make 2022 a solid year. The rest of the year once January comes to a close. On the bright side, though, the Jets have taken advantage of turning the calendar over. And they've gone two for two so far on the road trip, including last night's 3-1 victory over the Arizona Coyotes. So we'll start there before looking back at the barn burner in Vegas on the weekend. And yeah, comparing the two games, just a bit of a drop off in talent. (laughs) You know, I actually, I tweeted after the game that, you know, we are all the big winners out of the Jets 3-1 victory over the Coyotes because now there's only two more Jets-Coyotes games that we have to stomach and watch for the rest of the year. And then we're free for another season. Yeah, it's it's not uh, aesthetically pleasing hockey when Arizona hits the ice. So thankfully, the Jets were able to take advantage of the uh, the free spot of the bingo card, which the Jets forgot to dab the last time these two teams met. A crazy stat, too, that I saw. Arizona has only six wins through 30-some-odd games this year. They haven't beaten anybody by more than one goal either. So <laughs> even in the wins they've managed, they've basically eked out one goal victories in each of those, and then they've gotten blown out in the majority of the losses they've had so far this season. And it's pretty evident watching the team. There's there's just not a lot of talent there, all right? Even even the high-end guys on Arizona are probably second-line guys on, on any sort of a contending team. And, and the talent continues to drop off as you go further and further down the lineup. So going to be tough times in Arizona for for quite a while, or sorry, Houston, going to be tough times in Arizona this year, then tough times in Houston for a little bit, but thankfully for the Jets, hey, they're not fun games to watch, but you know, when it comes to to a wild card chase, you wouldn't mind having a few more Coyotes games coming up on the schedule. Now, having said all that, didn't love the start for the Jets in this one, and and quite frankly, you could make the argument that Arizona outplayed Winnipeg in the first period. It, It was sloppy, slow, 
I mean, I don't know if the Jets were able to complete more than two passes in a row before turning the puck over and not a whole lot of sustained offensive zone time against one of the worst teams the NHL has seen in quite some time. And I couldn't help but think, oh, there's no way they drop four points to the Arizona Coyotes, right? With their playoff lives hanging in the balance night after night. And thankfully, the Jets completely turned it around once the first period came to an end. I mean, it was pretty much utter dominance in the final 40 minutes. Winnipeg was peppering the milkman. That Vamelk is a pretty damn good goalie. At least he is when he plays the Jets, plays against the Jets. Uh, but he made a, a bunch of highlight reel stops, including a few on the power play for Winnipeg, just to keep Arizona into the game. But I, I thought as the game went along, they looked, I mean, it was just clear the Jets were the more talented team. Yeah, they didn't necessarily just rely on their skill. They outworked the Coyotes. They did all the little things right, stuff that probably Dave Lowry's pretty happy about after the game. So, good to see the Jets bounce back, just like in Vegas, from a bit of a slow start. Thankfully, though, even with the mediocre subpar first period, the Jets were able to grab a lead because of getting Sveshikov got back on the board. So, so good to see Svech back in the lineup after missing a couple of games with an injury. But, but it's also good, too, because, you know, watching Svechnikov on that play and, and seeing the skill that he has, but also seeing Jansen Harkins over the past little while fill in for Svechnikov in the top six, the Jets might have found themselves a couple complementary pieces. And, you know, it's, it's nothing that's going to, you know, make the front page of NHL.com or anything like that. But really, really important for the Jets, especially with Blake Wheeler out, to have some of these pieces step up and be, you know, I don't want to say necessarily impact players, but make an imprint on the game, right? And and fit into the roles that they're being given right now. And so you feel confident that if you want to try and roll with three balance lines, that you could put either a Harkins or a Svechnikov in one of those spots inside the top six. And then you can make your third line, you know, more efficient and, and more dangerous. So really... Really awesome development we've seen from the Jets where Sveshnikov kind of took over the first couple weeks of the season. But now, slowly, Jansen Harkins is starting to make a name for himself and he's looking pretty good. I thought he had himself another good game after scoring against the Vegas Golden Knights on the weekend. Now, from the complimentary pieces to the big dogs, to me, it really looks like Shifley, Ehlers, and Stasny are about to go on one hell of a heater here for the Jets as the, as the top line right now. I, I think they might surpass the old trusty Dubois-Connor partnership because they've looked outstanding since the Jets have returned to action. A huge game against Vegas. And then, while not necessarily you know getting on the score sheet 5-on-5 five five in this one, easily the most dangerous line the Jets had. Probably could have had a couple of goals as well. If Amelka didn't, you know, borderline stand on his head, they just looked really sharp, really crisp. It kind of looks like they figured out how to play with each other, right? Like they, they know where to find each other in the offensive zone. I love the way they look on the rush as well, which is huge. And I guess expected too, when you have guys like Shafley and Ehlers on the same line. But when you're good on the rush and then you're starting to figure things out, during prolonged offensive zone appearances, you know what the points are going to come with those guys. And they have, and I think they're going to over the next several days here. I'll be really intrigued to see how they do, you know, whichever line they go up against when they face the Colorado Avalanche coming up on Thursday. But good things so far to start 2022. And I think we're going to see 
even better performances to come here. And, and you know what? They might be the engine that gets Winnipeg going here as they try to close the gap on a wildcard spot and maybe even a spot as one of the playoff teams, the three playoff teams inside the Central Division. And I thought, too, Mark Shifley had his best game, I don't know, maybe of the season. It's up there for me. I thought he was really, really solid against the Coyotes. We'll get to his performance against the Golden Knights later on in the episode, which was a little more up and down, a little more kind of what we expect or what we've seen out of Shifley so far this season. But I thought in Arizona, he was really good at both ends of the ice. I thought he looked really engaged physically. I think, I mean, the effort was, let's be honest, it was it was higher than it's been for a lot of the season against the Coyotes. He just played a really, really good game. And you can even take away the two assists that he had, right? Like, I... I they were great plays, and he made a few other great passes and probably could have had a couple more points. But just taking away the offensive production for a second, I think it was one of the better games we've seen from Mark Shifley this season. So with that line in particular, a lot of good things, but boy, oh boy, if they could build off that and maybe even reach a bit of a higher level. Really, really exciting times for the Winnipeg Jets if those three can really, really start to bring the offensive production with them. Now, one guy that's pretty much brought the production since game one of the season, and maybe the most consistent Winnipeg Jet all year, man, oh man, I just love watching Pierre-Luc Dubois this season. And another goal within about six inches from the goal line for the big guy. It's just, it really is remarkable when you think back. And I, I mean, hey, if you, if you guys have any tape beside you, go back and watch it. But just the transformation from the guy we saw last season to the player we're seeing right now, who's a borderline superstar, but a no doubt about it, impact centerman, a high-end guy down the middle, it's, it's night and day, the guy that we saw last year compared to this year. And I just love, and I, I would love to know if this was just like an internal thing from PLD, or if it was the old man maybe talking to him a little bit, or, or somebody from the Jets, right? But it's like there was a heart-to-heart by somebody to Dubois saying, hey, don't forget your, you know, 6'3", 6'4", 220, and why don't you use that to your advantage a little bit? Because he's just a beast. Net front, right around the net, he's super aggressive. I mean, he's been a monster all year long on the power play as well. But just watching Pierre-Luc Dubois in his office, which is basically in a two-foot radius right around the net. You know, we hear all the time how players, and players will say this, coaches will say this as well, we need someone or the team to simplify the game, right? When when a player's struggling, you'll hear a coach or the player say, I need to simplify things. Dubois done a really, really great job of that this season where just be meat and potatoes and go to your bread and butter, which is use your big frame and cause havoc in and around the net. And you're going to get a ton of greasy goals and points. And by the end of the year, nobody's going to care that none of them were, were highlight real material. But you'll have, you know, 30 goals, 30 plus assists. And you might crack, you know, 70 points and make yourself a lot of money in the process. That is kind of the epitome of simplifying your game. We still see, you know, high end skill from Dubois. But just realizing that right in and around the net is where you're going to make you know, eventually the most money and, and and make do when you're on the ice. It's just been a really, really fun transformation we've seen from Dubois in, you know, just a, a matter of months, really. 
and hopefully it continues for a number of years to come. But just another impressive performance down low by Dubois. And, and a good bounce back, too, because I didn't think his line was all that good in Vegas as well. So another really, really good thing to see. The final thing, the final note from the game for me, uh, and it was kind of an original talking point uh, from the game in Vegas, and it has to do with the blue line. And we'll get to that. One last thing from the Coyotes game, and then we'll flip gears a bit and go to the Vegas Golden Knights victory from a few days before. But before we do all that, let's give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings, one of the official sports betting partners of the NHL. No-brainer offer on tap for you guys to kick off the new year. All you have to do, new customers, bet just $1 on any game of the NHL, and you win $100 in free bets if either team scores a single goal. And since there's no more ties, a goal will be scored. <laughs> so you're, I like your odds in this one. And remember, too, if Sportsbook is not available in your state, no worries. Everyone, including here in Manitoba, can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, so the final note for the Coyotes game. We saw this in the Vegas game. It was flip-flop once again in this one. But Dylan DeMello, and I, I would say surprisingly, I don't know if a lot of people feel this way, but Dylan DeMello, back with Josh Morrissey once again on the team's, you know, quote-unquote top pairing. And Nate Schmidt flip-flops with Dylan DeMello. And we saw Schmidt and Stanley together over the past, well, we'll say a game, game and a half. Because in the third period, the change was made back to what it's been all season long. We saw Nate Schmidt move back up with Josh Morrissey. Dylan DeMello drops down with Logan Stanley. I gotta be honest, I don't... I didn't get the move. I think Nate Schmidt's been great this year. I, I think Schmidt and Morrissey have been pretty damn dependable since the opening night of the season. And I know you had the extended break and all that, but I just didn't see any reason to break them up. You know, I, I think the, the chemistry was working. It wasn't the, the play of the defense, at least the defense pairs, was not the reason the Jets went into that tailspin, right? I mean, it was... Team defense was a part of it, but, you know, special teams was a much, much bigger aspect of this club's struggles and, honestly, to the defensive play of the forwards. I think the D pairs have been, you know, pretty much all you could have hoped for going into the season. So I, I didn't really understand the move. I, I, I still don't get it. And on top of it, you know, Dylan DeMello, I think, kind of made Dave Lowry's decision easy to, to switch back the pairings because he... He, he, he wasn't awful in both games, but he had a couple of pretty glaring mistakes, didn't he? I mean, you had the, the one play in Vegas kind of bobbling the puck or, or missed the puck and then falls over. Vegas scores to get within one. Then you had Lawson Krause, I believe, dangling DeMello. He ends up taking a hooking penalty on a guy that, you know, really shouldn't be beating you one-on-one. -on -one. I just think some of those plays started to add up 
And it, it made a pretty easy decision for Dave Lowry to uh, to go back to what we've seen most of the season. On top of that, too, you know, Schmidt-Stanley, I, I didn't think looked all that good together either. And, and, I mean, obviously, Logan Stanley has that howler of a pass right up the middle of the ice, leading to Arizona's only goal of the evening. But I don't think it was that play that led to the flip-flopping to the D-pairs. I think it was, you know, Dylan DeMello didn't really take advantage of the opportunity that was given to him. And I don't, I just thought he was kind of underwhelming beside Josh Morrissey. Maybe that that's the perfect word to use here. I didn't think it was awful, but just a little bit underwhelming, a little bit subpar. We've seen those two play well together in the past, but Morrissey, I think has been fine. DeMello had a, a couple of rough ones. And so for me, it's good to see Nate Schmidt and Josh Morrissey back together again. I imagine that's what the lineup's going to look like once the team heads into Colorado for Thursday. So that was the game against Arizona, really. I mean, if you want to boil it down and, and and summarize it in a sentence, just thank God you get the two points and move on forward after that because you can't drop anymore. There's no more losses to, you know, Arizona's, to the Buffaloes, to teams like that that we've seen from the Jets already this season. I mean, you can lose to teams like Colorado, but you can't lose to the cellar dwellers if you want to try and bump your way up the standings heading into the second half of the season soon to come. Now, from a bit of a dead game in Arizona, let's go back to maybe the game of the season for the Jets entertainment-wise in an absolute barn burner, a 5-4 OT victory for the Jets over the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, a massive two points wasn't the way you drew it up, but, I mean, Vegas has been... One of the toughest places to play since they've come into the league. You know, you have the long layoff as well. Yet the Jets still find a way, show some resiliency, which they've done a lot in the past, and, and get a massive, massive two points to kick off the new year. I mean, they, they got the result they wanted. They didn't get the start they wanted, though. Whew, that was one hell of a... <laughs> that was a woof period by the Jets to start off that game. I mean, Vegas completely deserving of a 2-0 lead. Probably should have had a couple more if it wasn't for Connor Hellebuck. But honestly, it was completely understandable. Like, I don't, I don't know if you really fault the Jets too much for their bad start because they hadn't played in two weeks. And Vegas had been playing pretty regularly, you know, leading up to the holiday pause and then shortly thereafter continuing to get onto the ice there. It was just one of those periods, I think, going into it, you were like, okay, just just weather the storm a little bit. Like, just don't be down 3 or 4 nothing, and the game's over before you have a chance to get your sea legs under you. So, I mean, fortunately, the Jets were able to keep the damage within two there. But it was just a prime example. It might have been the worst team, too, that you could have faced after being off for that long. Because Vegas does not really leave a whole lot of ice out there for you to operate with. They're very aggressive. They're on the puck quickly. They're just a, a really, really difficult team to play against in the most opportune of times, let alone, you know, this whole COVID layoff and, and all the other stuff that's going on there. So a, a brutal, brutal start for the Jets. But you know what? To their credit, if you take away, you know, if you, if you just look at the shots and the chances from the second period on, it was pretty much break even. You might even give a 51-49 edge to the Winnipeg Jets. Like, they really found a way to turn it on. And the third period, you know, outside of a bit of a collapse there, which, have we heard that before from the Jets? Outside of that, they were really, it might have been one of their better periods of the season. Like, they really flipped the ice, and it was just a really impressive showing for the Jets to, you know, come back and then take the lead 
and then fortunately some high-end skill won them the game in overtime there. Now the big storyline for me, you know, once the game ended and, and kind of, you know, recapping and, and taking a deeper dive into it, I, I would probably call it, you know, the Dave Lowry puts his stamp on the team game. You know, I, I think there were a number of interesting moves that, that Dave Lowry made that we haven't seen him do so far because it's it's kind of been, it was status quo for the first few games, you know, since he took over from Paul Maurice, which is to be expected. But I, I thought in this one, it was just intriguing to see the lineup decisions and then some of the on-ice, strategic, time-specific moves that he made in the game. I mean, the big ones right off the bat we saw in the second period the two goal scorers for the Winnipeg Jets. And and two youngsters, you know, Jansen Harkins, maybe leading a little bit closer to, to NHL veteran and regular, but two youngsters given elevated opportunities in the lineup and seeing those moves pay off. I mean, Jansen Harkins had a beautiful goal, getting a chance to play inside the top six and not looking out of place whatsoever, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, but a beauty of a goal by him. You know, you wonder if in the previous regime, of a guy like Jansen Harkins would have been given that opportunity. Then you have Christian Reichel, you know, really only getting the chance because of COVID and injuries, all of a sudden going from the moose to a spot on the third line with Lowry and Kopp, and you see him pitch in with his first NHL goal as well. I, I, I thought that was just really neat. Up front, you saw two youngsters given, you know, pretty big opportunities considering where they had been going into the season, and both those players delivering and coming through for the team. So, a few under-the-radar moves, but ones that really, really paid off and, hey, might kind of point to a, a different trend we could see here with the Jets moving forward, especially with Cole Perfetti, you know, waiting in the wings. Maybe the Jets won't be as hesitant as they had been in the past to give youngsters some playing time and, and to give them a little bit of an elevated opportunity if they do find their way into the lineup. Now, we mentioned the defenseman swap, DeMello Schmidt. Again, I, I didn't agree with it, but it, intriguing that Dave Lowry felt like maybe a bit of a, a shakeup was needed there. But I think also good, too, that, you know what, if it doesn't work after a couple of games, not even a couple of games, if it doesn't work after five periods, not afraid to, to go back and, and really just revert to what had worked for a large chunk of the season for the Jets. So I, I thought that was neat as well. Maybe the... The most intriguing thing, though, that I saw was the end of the game. And while it was a similar script for the Jets with a one-goal lead late as they eventually blew it, it was not in the same fashion necessarily. Let me explain. Because I was really intrigued to see who Dave Lowry's go-to lineup protecting a lead would be. We know in the past when we've seen the Jets blow either a lead or blow a tie game late. Let's be honest, it was the usual culprits out there. Generally, it was Shifley, Wheeler, and Connor failing to get the job done on the defensive side of things. So, and they were thrown out, you know, time and time again by Paul Maurice, and we kept seeing the same result over and over again in a negative fashion, and no change was made. But Dave Lowry did change things up, even though the Jets did get scored on, which we'll get to in just a sec. But once Vegas pulled their goalie, the first line over the boards was Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp, which is something that I pushed for going all the way back to last season, essentially saying, put Lowry and Kopp out there. They're your two best defensive forwards, and I almost don't even care who else goes beside them. But just make sure that Lowry and Kopp 
are the first two, no matter what, over the boards, which I, I thought was great, and I, I love that move by Dave Lowry. Don't necessarily love Kyle Connor being the choice beside them. I mean, maybe you're just going for a bit of an offensive edge for an empty netter, but let's face it, Kyle Connor, as great as he is offensively, is one of the worst defensive wingers in all of hockey. So, you know, a, a bit of a, a you know a bit of the good and the bad there, but I do love the idea of making sure that Lowry and Cop are your no doubt about it shutdown guys when it comes to trying to close out a lead at the end of the game. Now, just because the Jets got scored on doesn't mean that Dave Lowry's thinking didn't work because, you know, they were on the ice with about a minute 50 left and they did a great job in terms of preventing Vegas from getting a couple of high chance, high danger chances on Connor Hellebuck. But, you know, unfortunately, they can't play the final two minutes. They come off the ice with, I think, just under a minute to go. And then we see Mark Scheifele, Nikolai Ehlers, and I think Paul Stasny head over the boards there. And eventually the Vegas Golden Knights tie it up after a couple of failed clearances. And then, you know, a few guys with way too much space and, and no one near them in front of the in front of the net in the slot area. And that's where you see the, the deflection, the redirect happen. And the game eventually goes to OT. Looks like the Jets might have cost themselves a point in that one. And again, in this one, we see the good and the bad from Mark Shifley. He had a great game against Arizona, I thought. But... The Vegas game was really emblematic of, of Mark Shifley's play over the past couple of seasons. A lot of good, but a lot of bad. And again, just really simple elementary mistakes inside the defensive zone. I mean, the first goal for the Vegas Golden Knights, you know what? It's funny because if it was, say, a, a Dubois or a Lowry, you might kind of forgive the the mistake or the, the lack of positioning the same way that Mark Shifley played it on that first goal. But we've just seen it so often from 55 that you're kind of like, you got to be a little bit sharper on plays like that, right? Like you got to find a way to be in a better position, to take that extra stride and get in front of, uh, I I believe it was Amadio that scored, right? But like just, just little things, little attention to detail inside your own zone. And that's the difference from, you know, a 1-0 Vegas lead to a a 0-0 hockey game. And maybe the Jets don't have to try to protect a one-goal lead late against the Golden Knights. So you saw that happen there. And then on, on the game tying goal, again, no, we've seen more egregious mistakes from Shifley defensively this season. But if you watch him, he's just kind of floating around in no man's land. Like, not really close to the point, but nowhere near any of the guys in, in the slot area or in the front of the net. No real urgency to get there either. And then you have two guys that are available for a redirect, and that's how the puck ends up in the back of the net. So, again, just the, the same defensive issues continue to pop up time and time again for Mark Shifley. But then on the other side of the ice, he was brilliant. <laughs> you know, he made a couple of great plays in that game. You know, the, the Paul Stasny goal, the third goal for the Jets. Shifley makes a tremendous play in the neutral zone that eventually kickstarts. The Stasny goal, the third goal for the Jets there. I mean, a couple of brilliant passes on the power play as well. He ends up with a couple points in the night, right? Like, it's it's frustrating because we all know the offensive brilliance is going to be there, essentially, night after night. But just a little more sharpness, a little more effort, a little more focus on the defensive side of things. And, and he becomes a real, real high-end impact player in the NHL. So... You know, I, I thought just too much of an up-and-down game for my liking for Mark Shifley against the Golden Knights, but 
you know, if we're going to focus on the positive here, I thought a really, really impressive performance from him against the Arizona Coyotes. And let's pray to God he continues in the next game, Thursday night against the Colorado Avalanche, because they're going to need peak Mark Shifley if they're going to want to go toe-to-toe and, you know, in all likelihood, goal-to-goal against the Avalanche in a really, really big divisional tilt for the Jets as the road trip continues. So that's where we'll kind of leave it for the episode here. We're back at it on Friday, and we'll break down the Jets game against the Colorado Avalanche. And with just a quick look at the Avs and where they're at right now this season, I mean, the brief summary is they're an absolute unit. You know, for, for me, they're the best team in the Western Conference. I know the points, you know, I think right now they're tied for eighth. I think they're tied for the final playoff spot in the Western Conference right now. But they're actually first in points percentage in the entire conference. So just kind of a weird thing where they haven't played a ton of games. But it just goes to show how insanely talented they are that a COVID outbreak early on in the season, the goaltending being a major, major problem the majority of the year, and they're still on pace to be the top team of the Western Conference and, and maybe even make a push for the President's Trophy as well. I mean, they're, they're just, there they're really is, as far as the skaters go, there's no weakness. Darcy Kemper has not been very good for the Avalanche so far this season. Still lots of time for him to turn it around with a new team. But when you look at the guys that are skating in front of him, for me, it's the best collection of high-end talent in the NHL. I mean, we all know McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog. But I think Kale McCarr is... I think Kale McCarr is a lot closer to Connor McDavid in terms of, of impact and even playing style too. But I, I, I just think the world of Kale McCarr. He, he might be my favorite player to watch in the entire NHL. Um, so you have to deal with that. And then, hey, a couple of other, I mean, former Canadian Olympic hopefuls, but Norris Trophy vote getters as well in Sam Girard and, and Devin Taves. Like they're, they're just loaded in every position. And I still don't think we talk enough about the fact that Nassim Kadri is still fifth in league scoring right now. Like, on a point-per-game pace, he's way above Nathan McKinnon so far this season. So, it's just, it comes at you in waves, the amount of talent and skill that the Avalanche have. And it's why they score way more goals than any other team in the NHL so far this season. It's... You know, even with Connor Hellebuck at the top of his game right now, the Jets are probably going to have to score three if they want to get it to OT at the very least. You might have to score four plus if you want to beat the Colorado Avalanche Thursday night. So a really, really tough matchup. The fortunate thing for the Jets, though, like I said before we flipped into the new year, you know, if you win some of these other games against winnable teams, the games against clubs like Colorado don't hold as much importance, right? Like you can drop a game to the Avs, but then go out there and beat the Red Wings, right? Just little things like that to keep the point streak going. So, I mean, not an absolute must win to me the same way that the game against Arizona was, but one that, hey, if you can find a way to get it into OT and grab at least a point, that would be a pretty successful trip out to Colorado that if you grab the two points, well, I mean, everything's gravy and we can get back to talking about, you know, potential playoff matchups sometime soon. So, We'll wrap it up there. That'll do it for today's episode. Like I mentioned, we're back at it on Friday, breaking down the first matchup of the season for the Winnipeg Jets against the powerhouse Colorado Avalanche. In the meantime, though, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Verwicki. We'll talk to you guys on Friday. Stay safe out there, everybody. 
Peace.